This is Faster, a podcast by Flow Cycling. In each episode, we interview industry experts to educate you, challenge you, and even change the way you train so you become faster. When we're not creating this podcast, we're working on other ways to make you faster. At Flow, we design and manufacture some of the world's fastest cycling wheels that we sell consumer direct to keep more money in your pockets. As a special thank you for listening to Faster, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase. Simply use coupon code PODCAST in all capital letters at checkout. Your purchase will also support our Give Back initiatives. 1% of all sales supports our Bike for a Kid program, where we provide bikes and helmets for kids in need. We also plant one tree for every wheel we ship as a thank you to our planet. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Faster. I'm your host, John Thornham, and today we're going to be talking about aerodynamics and gravel cycling. You know, I, uh, I was reading an article recently online, and it was about the aerodynamics of gravel cycling, and it was a well-written article. Um, I liked a lot about what it said, and then it got to the section on wheels, uh, gravel wheels specifically, and aerodynamics, and the overall gist was that uh, gravel wheels cannot be aerodynamic. And I was kind of, I guess, first surprised and I was a bit frustrated by that statement because, you know, years ago we proved that 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 just wasn't true. So I kind of wanted to talk about it. I don't want to call anybody out. I'm not going to mention what the article is. It's it's a popular one. Um, But I kind of started to think about why. Why is this the case? And when I read the article and I went over it a few more times, I started to understand that some of the things that I've heard for many, many years, the things that I set out to prove were wrong, um, are still very widely held beliefs. And I, and I don't think that it's because people are trying to believe that it's just not the case. I just don't think that they've seen the facts that wheels can be aerodynamic when they're gravel wheels. So I wanted to sort of talk through some of this, um, what those beliefs are. And then I wanted to discuss, you know, how is it that we made a wheel aerodynamic? So the first thing I'll state, and I think it's kind of a, a very easy thing for most people to wrap their heads around when I talk about, you know, can a gravel wheel be aerodynamic? And what's widely accepted is that a cycling or road wheel, like road or tri, can be very aerodynamic. And if you take a box section rim and you run it through the wind tunnel with a tire on it, and then you take the same tire and you put it on a well-designed uh, rim profile, like something like our, you know, all sport line, like uh, 64 AS or 77 AS or the 49 AS, you see a drastic improvement in aerodynamics. And what you get is about 11 watts difference. So you see an 11 watt improvement from an aerodynamic perspective, which is pretty massive. If you get an FTP at 200 watts, uh, if you're going to add a 11% on that, it's over 5% bump. So it's, it's a big, it's a big deal. So what you look at when you look at gravel wheels is you would wonder, well, how many watts do you save? on a set of gravel wheels that have been designed to be aerodynamic over a box rim. And the truth is, is that it's the same 11 watts. So the 11 watt difference is the same. Now, most people think that there are reasons why a wheel like this cannot be aerodynamic. And the biggest thing I've heard, and it's the thing that, like I said, I set out to prove wrong years ago, was that tires and gravel are a problem. And so the first argument argument that you're going to hear is that tires are just too wide. So what does it mean when a tire is too wide for a rim? There's a lot of stuff that's been discussed about the, something called the Rule of 105, originally uh, coined by a friend of ours, Josh Portner. 
Um, and years ago, looking at just simply aerodynamics, what you found was that if a tire and rim had a ratio of like 105%, if you kept it within that ratio, that you would produce a very aerodynamic shape. When you broke that rule of 105, you lost some of the aerodynamic properties of the rim and it produced a, a less desirable result. Now, the big reason for that is that you take something um, which is called laminar airflow. So an airflow was air moves over a surface. It's in one of two states. It's either laminar, meaning smooth. So you think of like a, you know, lines on a sheet of paper. It's, it's, they would be all smooth. All the airflow is smooth moving. All the air particles are moving in smooth lines. If you think of water coming out of a hose and you don't see any bubbles or any, anything, it's just smooth laminar flow. Air and water are both fluids. That's why I'm using water. Sometimes it's easier to see. If you think about turbulent flow, that means like it's choppy, it's messy, it's, it's broken up, it's in some sort of disarray. So think of, um, you know, putting your, your finger over the end of a hose to get it to go further. But what you get is you get this very chopped up flow, airflow like that. Think of a, if you've ever ridden behind a, a large like transport truck or something like that, and you feel the air come off that and it sort of shakes your car, that is turbulent airflow that is chopped up and it's hitting your car and it's creating some sort of issue. So when you, when you break what's called that rule of 105, you can move yourself into more of a, uh, or a less desirable laminar state, and you can lose the the amount of time that you're in laminar airflow. So I'm going to talk about something called attachment and reattachment in a minute, but the belief is, is that when you have a tire that is too wide, as it leaves the tire surface on its way to the rim, it detaches from the tire, means it, meaning it, it's no longer laminar, becomes turbulent, and creates a problem. So that's the first sort of belief around why an aero gravel wheel with wide tires is impossible. The second thing that people talk about is the tread that you see on a gravel tire. So if you think about a road tire, generally they're pretty smooth. And so what the belief is is that as air moves around that tire surface, it can stay laminar. And the minute that you get to any type, sort of aggressive tread pattern that you would see on gravel, that the air as it hits that gets broken up, gets chopped up, and it becomes turbulent. So two, I guess three questions that you have to ask yourself. Number one, does air disconnecting from a does air disconnect from a large tire when the tire is large compared to the rim? The answer is yes. It can disconnect. The second question is can a tread create a turbulent airflow? The answer to that is yes. The third question is does this mean a gravel rim can't be aerodynamic? And the answer to that is no, but that's the problem. Most people th don't know that that answer is no, but the question then becomes, well, how do you, how do you make it aerodynamic and, and what does that look like? In order to start that discussion, we need to talk about something, the other the concept around attachment and reattachment. If you've ever listened to this podcast before, I'm sure I'd mentioned it, but I'll go into a bit more detail here and it's attachment and reattachment of airflow. So one of my early trips out to the A2 wind tunnel years ago, I learned something there that kind of reshaped the way that I looked at how we all performs aerodynamically. And when you get there, you have to, you have to design a protocol and protocol, meaning what, are, how are we going to test the wheel? So generally you want to see a, a sweep of yaw angles. 
Yongle, again, is if, if the wheel is straight into the wind, the wind's hitting you straight in the face, that would be zero degrees. As that wind changes, so it hits you more and more and more to one of your sides, consider it's hitting you directly on your right ear. That would be 90 degrees of yaw. So if it's hitting you sort of, you know, right on your eyebrow, like on the side of your face, that's kind of like the 45. And generally what you see on a bike is anywhere between tw minus 20. So minus 20 being to your left and plus 20 being to your right. Somewhere between 20 and 20. 80% uh, of your time is spent right around between minus 10 and plus 10. And so there's there's a, a range of yaw angles that you experience. So when you test in a wind tunnel, you want to sweep through those ranges. And what we do, we created something years ago called the net drag reduction value. Most people years ago would just look at a, a wheel in a wind tunnel. They would sweep it through its yaw angles. They would find the lowest point on that graph and they would do all their number calculations there to say that's how much time the wheel saved you. Well, that's just not true. So what we did was we studied wheels on the road, collected hundreds of thousands of uh, measurements, and then we calculated the averages spent at all those yaw angles over a number of different courses. And then what we do is we go to the wind tunnel and we sweep over those ranges. All of those are, are calculated into a weighted algorithm that then gives you the real world result of what that wheel will save you from an aerodynamic perspective. So there's a lot of studying, there's a lot of uh, calculation, there's a lot of collection, there's a lot of stuff that goes into creating an understanding of what you're going to see from an aerodynamic per perspective when you're designing a wheel. So if you, if you think about when you're in the wind tunnel and you're trying to figure out what that protocol is going to be, you kind of want to see a range of yaw angles. And so what some people will do is they'll start at minus 20 and then they sweep all the way to like plus 20. And at some point you hit that zero point. So because the wheel is the same shape on both sides, your immediate guess would be that, well, the results from sweeping from minus 20 on the left to zero would be the same as sweeping from zero all the way to plus 20. And the truth is it's, they're not. Every time you go from zero to, to uh, 20 on the right, or even if you went from zero to 20 on the left, the results will always be better than going from starting from a negative 20 and then moving up to a zero or from a 20 and moving back to zero. And the reason for that has to do with the way airflow performs after it has detached from the rim. So let's talk about that a little bit. If you think of air that is attached on a, on a, on a rim, what you get is at zero, it's, it goes around both sides evenly. So we don't really think about that. But the minute that you open up some sort of yaw angle, so let's say you're at five degrees of yaw, there is the side of the rim that is sort of facing the wind. And then there's the side on the back, the back half. So that's the, the one that wouldn't see the air directly coming towards it. So as air moves around the tire and comes around that back half of the rim, that's not directly exposed to the air, your goal as a wheel designer is to have that air stay attached, meaning that it basically turns, it curves, it like sucks its way into that back half of that profile and stays attached so that it stays laminar. If the, if the air flow moves around that tire, stays connected to the rim and moves around that rim, you're gonna have better aerodynamic performance than if it comes around the back half, the, the, the tire moving towards the back half of the rim and then isn't able to stay connected, disconnects and breaks off into a turbulent flow. That's gonna create poor aerodynamic performance. So at when you start at 20 degree, minus 20 degrees to the left, your airflow is already going to be detached. So it comes around that part of the tire. 
the yaw angle is too steep. It's stalled out like in an airplane wing. It's stalled, meaning that it can't have that. In an airplane, it would be lift. In a cycling wheel, it's called uh, side force. So you, you've moved beyond that point. So the air comes off and it's turbulent as it comes around the tire moving towards the back half of the rim. As you close that angle, at some point, you're going to have reattachment of the air. And it, let's, let's assume for a minute that it attaches at 13 degrees of yaw. That's where it reattaches back to the rim. Once you hit zero, you're sort of back at that neutral place. And as you open up moving towards 20 to the right, you're going to have connected laminar flow all the way through. What air does is once it's attached, it is easier for it to stay attached than it is for it to reattach. So that means that as you hit 13 degrees of yaw, it's going to be attached. And as you continue to increase that yaw angle, it's going to stay attached for a longer period of time until it breaks off. So air that is attached will stay attached easier than it will reattach once it's detached. That's the key thing that I learned at one of my early trips to the A2 wind tunnel. Knowing that, what it made me understand was it's not just about how long you can keep air attached to a rim profile that makes it fast. It's how easily you can get air to reattach to a rim profile. And that ultimately is one of the main design considerations that we used when making our gravel wheel line. So if you look at the studies that are sort of cited in this article that I read, and you look at some of the things that are discussed, one of the big issues that you're going to find is that most companies that have looked at a aero profile for a gravel wheel, their profiles are too shallow. If you're looking in the 40 mil range or somewhere like that, and you're putting on large tires, the rim is just not deep enough to have any ability to even grab that airflow coming around the backside, that turbulent airflow, and create any type of reattachment or any type of reduction in the turbulence. If it's too shallow, you've lost all of that benefit. What we noticed when we, we have this design algorithm that we use to look at profiles, we noticed that as soon as you start to hit 55, 60 mils of depth, you start to get large benefits. So to my knowledge, the deepest arrow wheels that have ever been designed and specifically designed for gravel are the G6700 and G650 that we produce. Now the G700 was designed around a 37 millimeter tire. And most of the stuff that I've read is states that anything in that range, there's no way that it could be arrow. Our G650 was designed around a 42 mil tire. And that is, I mean, that's just way wider than anybody will even believe that it is possible. So when you look at the data that we produced, you have to get that deeper rim profile. Now the 700 has a, has a narrow wheel, so its depth is 54.9 mils. The seven or 650 has a wider wheel. So again, you would expect at that point for the rim to get deeper and the algorithm selected the ultimate profile that was around 58.8 millimeters. And that's the depth of the G650. So it is very important for the wheel to be deep, but it is also very important for the wheel to be wide. Now, that comes with a caveat. You cannot have a wheel that is so wide that you can't have a tire that mounts to it without it being dangerous. The widest rim that you can make, and this is we're part of a group that looks at safety standards around internal rim width and how you can mount, what size tires you can mount to basically make them safe. 25 mils internal rim width for tires that are in the 32 mil range and slightly above 
25 is the largest you can get. Now that limits you to how wide you can make your rim. Ideally, I'd love a rim that would be 50 millimeters wide. I've always said since doing this, if we just had the ability to make things as wide as possible, we'd make wheels that were way faster, but you can't ignore tires because tires need to be there. They need to be safe and you need to consider those in the design. We use as wide as we can get. Our rims are around 33 mils wide, both for the gravel wheels. Um, and that gives us a lot of benefit when you, when you look at it from an aerodynamic perspective, we're widening it out as much as possible. So that transition from tire to rim is as small as possible that that ratio we don't want a really narrow rim because it just makes that rule of 105 even worse. We want to have it as wide as possible. So even though we're outside of it, we're closer to it than we would be if we had a narrower rim. So another thing you'll hear is this idea of, and it comes from like, I think it comes from just standard airfoil design that there's like these ratios. So it's like the depth has to be three to one or the depth has, has to be four to one or it has to be all these different things. I'm not saying that those don't matter, especially in airplane wings is different. While cycling wheels are very similar to things like an airplane wing, or even you can look at sailing and say that they're similar. If they're not uh, present there, it doesn't mean that the aerodynamics are 100% gone. It just means that they could be, and in some situations are better if they were allowed to be there at, at 100%. So it doesn't mean that it's, you know, again, that they're 100% gone. The other thing you're going to hear, and this is something that is going to be people have challenged this in a, in a number of ways, is they say that if you have a deep gravel wheel, it's going to be difficult to handle in the wind. So it's not beneficial. Well, to be honest with you, a wheel that is deep, that has a handling issue, just really hasn't been designed all that well. So the original rim profiles that you found years and years ago, they were essentially triangles. So you had the where the you know the brake tracks and then they had straight lines that went down to the spoke and if you were to cut it and look at the section of it it would look like a triangle well it's true a 60 mil deep or 50 mil deep wheel like that years ago that you rode if you got into this any sort of crosswinds it literally rode like a bucking bronco they were horrible and and the issue that you have when you have something like that is it's not necessarily that it's not aero there are aero benefits not nearly as good as what we find today on the advanced ring shapes that we make but the biggest, bigger issue is that your body is the biggest drag component. So as you get into some sort of crazy handling situation, you're going to come out of any arrow position because you're scared and you have to handle the bike and you come up to, to keep yourself safe. Today, a rim that is 55 mils or 60 mils deep, really, if it's designed well, you're not going to have handling issues. And the other component of that that most people don't think about is that when you have a deep rim, you get the leaf spring effect benefit from that profile. So what does that mean? We've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's so important to bring up. When you have a deeper section profile, you have the spoke bed where the spokes are connected. You have the rim bed and the clencher area where the tire is connected. And the profile that extends between those two is a thin piece of carbon fiber on both sides, and it's curved. That is going to act like a leaf spring as you hit bumps and vibrations. When you're on a shallow box rim or something that is too shallow to get that benefit, you do not get a leaf spring benefit. So the argument that a deeper wheel is harder to handle in the wind, which we know now is just not true because if it's designed well, you're not going to have handling issues anyway. Our algorithm looks at two things. It looks at aerodynamics 
the, the what you get from an aerodynamic performance under the rim, and it looks at the stability of the rim. If we find a really, really aero profile, but the stability is terrible, it's thrown away. It's eliminated because there's no point in having a very aero rim that's just not stable. So considering that is gone and you're looking at this leaf spring benefit that you get, what does the leaf spring benefit give you? It gives you reduced vibration, which means that your tire is going to track straight. It's not going to bounce all over the place. It means that your uh, vibration that goes through your body is going to be decreased. It means that the fatigue that you're going to have as a rider is going to be decreased because you're not getting vibration through your bodies and you're not creating issues from micro tears in your muscles and your grip is going to be get be better because you're not bouncing down the road. So any benefit that you're going to get from a deeper profile on the least broom effect far outweighs any potential negative that you would get from a handling perspective in any type of crosswind. So Again, vitally important. The thing, again, that you have to consider, there's this other myth that people talk about is that aerodynamics only matters at a certain speed. And the most common thing you're going to hear is 20 miles an hour, and that is just not true. 20 miles an hour really means nothing. Your ground speed's 20 miles an hour. What is the wind speed relative to you? It's relative velocity. And the 20 mile an hour thing just isn't true. At any speed, as long as you're not in a tailwind where your relative velocity is zero, if you're getting any type of uh, relative velocity that's positive, aerodynamics is going to matter. And for most people, you're most of the time, again, unless you're in some crazy tailwind, going to be in some sort of aerodynamic um, situation where an aerodynamic wheel is going to give you a much better performance out of the wheel. So I hope this doesn't really sound like a huge rant. I, I'm not... I guess most of, like I said, I was, I was a bit surprised by it. Um, I know that this stuff is difficult. I'm not saying that it's easy to understand. And I don't even think that people are trying to say something that is wrong. I just think that the, it's, it hasn't quite gotten there yet from the, what people understand on the gravel side. Um, if you know somebody, just tell them the story or tell them, you know, why it matters. Tell them that it is possible to make stuff in gravel that is, is arrow. You know, and it's, and again, I hope I, we see other companies do the same thing because um, there's a real benefit for athletes. I started this company years and years ago to help make, make people faster. And that's, that's our whole focus. That's what we do. Um, I guess in time, I hope that uh, the belief that aerodynamics and gravel wheels and, and is going to be widely understood that they can be aero. And uh, yeah, I hope that's the case. If you guys um, are out there this weekend riding, if you're doing some gravel, uh, think about aerodynamics. Make sure that you're considering it because it could help you in a big way. I know we just had Unbound again, and while there were more G700s there than we've ever seen before, there still is just a number of very competitive, very successful people. And even um, the, the vast majority, again, it reminds me years ago when I used to go to triathlons and I would see how most of the people had box rims. It feels today that's what gravel is. So hopefully that changes. Uh, everyone stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Faster. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Leave a review or teach a friend what you learned today. For more great episodes on getting faster, subscribe to this podcast. While you're on your next ride, be kind to one another and ride safe.